Today's scripture reading comes from Romans chapter 8, verses 18 to 30. You can also follow along in page 7 of the bulletin. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. This is the word of the Lord. All right, well, good morning, everyone. I want to welcome you to Metro today. My name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, and it really is such a joy for me to be with you all this morning. Um, and the reason why I say that is I'm actually often um, at our Cherry Hill site. Uh, I primarily oversee uh, the shepherding there. So, you know, y- y'all don't see me here often. So when I do get to be here and when I do get to preach here, it really is a treat for me. Um, I'm so, uh, uh, I'm just overwhelmed by the warmth and by the welcome. And you must understand that, you know, Metro is a very special place for me. This building is a very special place for me because this is where I personally have experienced so much spiritual renewal in my life. So when I get to be here with you all and I get to have this opportunity to share this word that gave me new life. You know, my hope and my prayer is that this would be the same for you here, that you are here in this room right now to experience this renewal. And for all of us in this room, we're here and we're glad and we're worshiping and I don't know what brings you here at this very moment. But what I'm going to believe is that the road here was not an easy one. And I'm not talking about navigating through the mean streets of Philadelphia. I'm not talking about navigating through Lincoln Drive, although, praise God, if you did go through Lincoln Drive. But the road I'm referring to is a much longer road. And the road that I'm referring to 
It's the road that is marked with suffering. We're all on the road marked with suffering. We're all on the road that is filled with fear and anxiety because your spirit is running on an empty tank with no beacons of hope to be found. We are all on the road marked with suffering, the road where you've made multiple mistakes, constantly getting off the wrong exit, trying to make shortcuts in your life, and now you feel like you're just making up for lost time. We're all on the road marked with suffering. The road where you've experienced an immeasurable amount of hardship and pain that you or someone has caused upon you. And now that this road that you are on is actually just a constant reminder of that trauma that you have actually experienced. And friends, just want to let you know that if you are here, that road marked with suffering, not only has it brought you here in this room to hear this very word, but it is the road marked with suffering that will lead you to a future glory that is ahead. Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 30, which is one of my favorite passages, is a passage about future glory. It's a passage for those who profess and confess their faith in Jesus that there will be a day, that there will be a day when you will be united with Christ the King. And at the same time, because of this future glory, beloved, you and I can now hope with a present hope on the road marked with suffering. So for our time today, I have three points to help us through our passage. First, we're going to talk about our present suffering. Secondly, we want to talk about our future glory. And thirdly, we're going to talk about our renewed hope, our present suffering, our future glory, and our renewed hope. Let's dive right in, our present suffering. Now, the book of Romans, it was written uh, by the Apostle Paul, and this was during his third missionary journey. And he was writing to the church in Rome, and this church it consisted of young Christians, both Jewish and Gentile converts. They were young, but very committed. If I had to contextualize this right now, if the Apostle Paul wanted to preach, he'd be preaching to the church just like Metro. Young Christians, excited to be here. A lot of renewal, both physically and spiritually, and just experiencing new life. And Paul, what he's doing in this passage is he's reminding these young believers in Rome that the most important thing in their life is to truly understand the power of the gospel. And hear me when I say the power of the gospel. I'm not just saying it's a general gospel, but he's talking about the power of it. What I mean is that the gospel and the, the apostle Paul, when he talks about the gospel, he's not just saying it's something you need to memorize. That truly knowing the gospel is not about, uh, 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 it's, not about uh, uh, it's not based on a pass-fail basis on how much knowledge you have. 
right? It's not about how law-abiding you are or even how often you serve your local church and your local community. See, for the Apostle Paul, he's saying that to truly know the power of the gospel that saved you from spiritual death, and now you experience uh, spiritual life because of the person and work of Jesus, it is this very truth that shapes how we are to live through the pressure cookers of life. So how does the Apostle Paul do this as he's preaching to young Christians just like you and I? How does the Apostle Paul make sure he conveys the importance of knowing this gospel? What does he do? He does this by acknowledging the realities of sin and suffering. Meet me at verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Here, the Apostle Paul, he's emphasizing this reality that we often don't want to admit. He's emphasizing the reality that because of sin, there will be suffering. That everyone, everyone in this room will suffer. That suffering is not a, a, a just a suffering for the non-Christian, but the suffering happens actually especially for the Christian. Consider the Apostle Paul. He is clear proof that present suffering is a reality. He's gone through a lot of stuff. He is the one that's gone through much pain and persecution. Paul was imprisoned. He was flogged. He was beaten. He was stoned. He had been in danger of risking his life uh, and facing persecution from Jews and Gentiles and false Christians. He is one that has experienced much persecution and suffering for the sake of the gospel. And so it is with you and I. The reality is that in this present life, we are on a road that is marked with suffering. You can try maneuvering on the local road as long as you want. You can try to ignore it. But at the end, you can't avoid going back on the main road. Suffering is inevitable. But you're probably wondering why is this the case? Why does this have to be the way? Look at verse 20 with me. Paul says, For the creation was subjected to frustration, and not by its own choice, but by the one who subjected it. Now, in verse 20, we find the word frustration, and this is the same word translated as vanity in the book of Ecclesiastes. And to summarize this, it ultimately means that uh, there is something that is not as beautiful or not as significant as it was meant to be. In other words, after the fall, creation is ultimately distorted. When you look at uh, the creation days of Genesis, and then in Genesis chapter 3, we see the fall. We see the entrance of sin, and because of the entrance of sin, we now live in a fallen world with pain and suffering. Genesis chapter 3, verse 17 says, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. In other words, creation is in bondage to decay. 
Life is a continual cycle of death and decomposition. Everything in nature, everything in this side of life wears down and dies, including you. So the Apostle Paul, he illustrates this for us a little bit more in verse 22. In verse 22, he refers this to the pains of childbirth. From when life is born in childbirth to when life is lost in death, there is an immeasurable amount of suffering that we will go through, and it will make us groan in agony. As I've mentioned earlier, friends, I've been pastoring here at Metro for the past five years. And hear me when I say that is been one of the most joyous things that have happened in life. But hear me when I tell you that it does not come with real spiritual battles of personal sin and suffering. Hear me when I tell you that it doesn't come without hearing the immeasurable amount of pain and suffering that people in this room go through. Hear me when I say that this doesn't come without a desperate need of just constant prayer from people that are surrounding you and that people that surrounded me just because of hardship. All of life is a road marked with suffering. But when we look at verse 22, he alludes to this pain of childbirth. Yes, the Apostle Paul is saying that life is painful just like childbirth. But at the same time, what is he ultimately saying in verse 22 is actually the pivot. Because let's not forget what the outcome is. It is childbirth. That in the midst of agonizing pain, in the midst of when we feel like we can't be delivered from our pain, we need to remember that it's in the pain when we trust in something greater, there is always a joyous outcome. Mothers, y'all know this. The 36-ish week of pregnancy, from what I've heard, is not a good one. I've heard things. I've heard it enough where the pains of experiencing childbirth is something I would never really consider. But what I often hear is the joy to follow, the joy of your newborn in your arms. It is that one thing that you will never forget. It is that one thing you will always cherish. And in the same way, as great as your disappointments and discouragements feel in this present suffering, how much greater will be our future glory? And because of this future glory that we know that this is a temporary thing and that there is a greater day ahead, you can cling on to the hope of uh, the, the cross and the hope of the gospel right now. See, in the garden, Yes, because of the entrance of sin and creation was subjected to frustration. In verse 15, was there not a promise of future glory that was to come that God promised that he would crush the head of the serpent? See, yes, life is filled with pain and suffering. It is a road marked with suffering. But there will be a day of future 
glory, which is, leads to our second point. Meet me at verse 23. We ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Now here, uh, Paul is reminding us, uh, and, and as Andrew, Pastor Andrew mentioned last week, uh, the, the, the spirit of adoption, that when we uh, enter God's family, we are like children, that there will be a day when we receive uh, all of the benefits that sons would have, and we would ultimately receive an eternal inheritance to come. And Paul, in verse 23, he refers to this as the redemption of the body. In other words, there's going to be a day when we will fully be rescued from sin and death. There will be a day of no more pain and suffering. Revelation 21 verse 4 says that he's going to wipe every tear from our eyes, that there's going to be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things have passed away. And Paul says, that when you look towards this future glory, you can live with a present patience. Like at verse 25. But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Paul is referring to not the type of patience we should have when we're stuck in traffic. When he says wait for it patiently, He's talking about something deeper, and he's actually painting us an amazing picture. See, I want to I just kind of land here for a second when we say that we, have, well, we wait for it patiently. First, whenever we see words, that, that, that phrase wait for, um, it, it's actually this often alludes, whenever we see this wait for in other verses, it often alludes to a person lifting his or her neck to spot someone or something that is coming. Secondly, the word patiently, it suggests the ability to endure the trials that come our way, ultimately because of a future glory. In other words, when we have the hope of knowing that there is something or someone that is coming for us, if we're just willing to look up, knowing that when we look up, something is going to save us, We'll always have the endurance to just hold on a little bit longer. He says that we can patiently endure. You tracking with me? You know, a close friend of mine uh, recently shared the joys of, of, of raising a child. And he said that one of the most difficult things in the early stages of, of, of raising a child was actually bringing them to child care. He says that, you know, as the child is getting dropped off, it's like this, this is just, it's really difficult because, you know, it never happened before. And as this child is getting dropped off, what happens? The child starts wailing. The child starts crying. He is bawling in tears. Why? Because it's the real first time right, that he's going to be separated from the father. And this, my friend is saying, man, it's just such a brutal thing to see. And what's brutal is, you know, as, as the father, as he has to leave and he's, he's departing, you know, through the window, he sees his child, you know, and, and the child is just crying and wailing in tears and just waiting, looking at the father. Day two, it happens all over again. Same thing. Nothing changes, right? Drops him off 
crying, dad has to leave, kid looking at the window, wailing, looking at the father. But then he said, something changes around day three. Because on day three, the child gets a little bit more comfortable, probably made some homies in the daycare, having a good time now. All of a sudden, things are a little different. He looks through the window. The father is leaving. He nod, that, that's, what child, that's what children do. They nod their heads. <laughs> that's what they do, clearly. Clearly, I know. Child nods. All right. It's like the kid doesn't care as much anymore. Right? What's happening? This little child, this son, knows that the father will return. It's as if the child knows. He knows that the child's going to come back. He knows that, you know, in time, when he's looking through that window, the father will return for him. And in the same way, friends, I, I feel like sometimes we just need to be reminded that there is a day of future glory ahead of you. And sometimes we need to be reminded that if we just in our midst of our weakness, even when we're tired, even when in despair, and we don't want to look up. Sometimes we just need to look up and know that there is a future glory, that there is a Father that is ahead, and He is returning, and He is waiting for you, knowing that there is a day that He will fully redeem you. And because of the fullness of redemption, we can patiently endure And who gives us this endurance to look when we're too weak? Look at verse 26. In verse 26, Apostle Paul says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. So he talks about the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit in us, that the Holy Spirit is given to us. And what the Holy Spirit is, who he is, is that he is the great helper. He is a counselor. And what this helper does is he helps us raise our neck to look ahead when we are simply too weak. That those who accept Jesus Christ as Savior, and if you, you want to accept him right now, you can experience this in the moment that he will give you a Holy Spirit. And it's this Holy Spirit that will make you more patient. He will give you the endurance. He will allow you to persevere. And we have this Spirit in us right now, friends. And it's the Spirit that we have. You can be confident. It will never leave you astray. And it will never be taken away from you. Why? It's because on the cross, Jesus Christ he gave up his spirit. Luke chapter 23, verse 46, on the cross, Jesus cries out, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. See, friends, it was on the cross where Jesus Christ, he emptied himself, empty. He gave up his Spirit, so that you and I, we can be filled with the Holy Spirit who helps us in our weakness. It was on the cross, Jesus Christ, he experienced ultimate hardship and loss. He lost what was most important, his intimacy with the Father, the worst thing anyone can lose. And in one last groan, he cries out, 
my God, my God, why have you forsaken me just to be rejected from him? But why is that so you and I, we can be accepted into his family as sons, that now we can receive the first fruits, and now we have the promise of future glory, that Jesus Christ, although perfectly endured on the cross, God the Father, he still subjected him to an ultimate frustration, to separation from the Father, just so that you and I, his children, don't have to experience the ultimate frustration of life without the Father. And when we believe that Christ endured and he conquered sin and death, what that means for us right now is that we can endure because we know God understands our pain, our loss, and the suffering. Oh, how isolating suffering makes us feel. Oh, but the promise of God may it remind you that you are not alone in it. We can endure knowing that he sympathizes with us. And he's the only one that can sympathize with us to this magnitude. If I can say it this way, when suffering makes us silent, God hears every note of pain and suffering. And in the most beautiful way of orchestrating your pain and suffering, he turns it into a melody of joy and hope. How do we know this? Look at verse 26. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through word that grows, groans. Now, you know, we could talk about how to pray and what to pray for and et cetera, but, you know, that's for another time. I just want to kind of hone in on what we're seeing in verse 26. And what I want us to really see in verse 26 simply is that you can't deny the approachability of God. I mean, this verse reminds us that when we can't articulate our pain, when the suffering is too deep, he still knows your heart. And because of that, you can just simply cry out and groan. That when you have nothing to say, you can approach him. When you have nothing to say, because you have the Holy Spirit, you got the, you got the greater chat GPT. All you have to do is simply groan, and it just, da -da 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 -da, it just starts calculating word after word after word. And the father responds like, man, I, I hear you. That is what happens. The Spirit intercedes on our behalf. And this verse reminds us when we can't articulate anything, even in our groans, he hears every single note of pain and suffering. Yeah, I recently got married this past September, um, and one of um, the greatest encouragement I have experienced from my, my wife personally is, um, you know, often when I get discouraged, you know, and I get discouraged often, you know, life is tough, ministry is tough, um, you know, and I get discouraged, I get beaten up. And it's an amazing thing where um, I get most encouraged when I, I actually don't even say it. Um, you, know, I, I'm, I, you know, sometimes I can keep things to myself in my selfishness. 
Um, and sometimes I don't know what to say, so I don't say, so I don't articulate anything. But it's interesting where, where uh, you know, she, she came to help me realize that I, I do this thing when I'm, uh, like, really discouraged, right? She says that, you know, I notice you do this thing when you're beaten up, when you're anxious. Um, you, don't, you get a little bit more quiet. She says I do this thing where I just start, kind of like start rubbing my head and, you know, um, I just made it shinier on the camera. So I, I'm like, I shouldn't have done that. But, but she said that's what I do. She says that I, 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 when I'm frustrated, I, I just kind of rub my head. And after, as I, you know, do that, I actually just go, <sighs> I, I rub my head, and I just sigh. And she says whenever she witnesses that, she checks in. She's like, Brian, what's really going on? What's happening? You know, she knows that even when I don't have to say much, she, she knows to encourage me. Yeah, even when I don't know how to articulate my discouragement, uh, she, she, she helps me process and she's able to kind of help me even, you know, unfold and, you know, counsel me through what's actually happening in my heart. And what I'm trying to say is, is you and I, if we can get this sort of comfort from our loved ones here on earth, how much more comfort uh, will we have from our Heavenly Father? That even when suffering makes us feel silenced, when all we can do is groan, you are so loved by God. He gives you the spirit that intercedes your groaning into an immeasurable amount of words. And the Father listens because Christ willingly gave up his rights with the Father. And when we believe this, how that should shape us right now is that it gives us our third and final point, it gives us a renewed hope. Look at verse 28 through 30. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Here we find what theologians call a golden chain of salvation. It's the reality that no matter what happens in the Christian's life, there is an unbreakable chain, a plan that God has decreed from eternity's past. And it's because of this, and because we know that there's a future glory ahead, you and I, what that means for us right now, when true, we can live with a renewed hope. And it is not despite our suffering, but through our suffering. And because of this, we can respond in our suffering, we can navigate suffering just as Jesus did. You know, what Jesus' death does for us is that it gives us two things. Number one, it gives us a model to suffer well. And secondly, it also gives us the power to suffer well. Consider Jesus on the cross. He never grumbled. He never complained. And he never spoke against God. But at the same time, he does say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In other words, Jesus, he acknowledged the suffering, but he always trusted. 
He acknowledged that pain was real, but he never, he never wandered. Jesus, he lamented, but he always honored. And friends, we are called to this same type of endurance. And it's not just because you are called to, but you are also empowered to. That we can have this type of endurance. We can respond with this type of heart. And friends, I, I need for us to hear this right now. Because hear me when I say, I, I, I get it. I, I know it's not easy. I know that the suffering is real. I, 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 you know, if, if, if we had an opportunity to talk about what everyone is going through, I'm sure it will last an eternity. But we, in his faithfulness, and when we trust in him, we can still respond accordingly to his character. If I can say it this way, and I just want to say this, suffering is not an excuse for your sin. We've made too many excuses to justify our selfishness, and God simply calls you to something so much more. It's not an excuse for your sin. We can endure suffering just as Jesus did. Why? Because the glorification to come for Jesus, the joy of bringing salvation to you and I, sinners that don't deserve it, it was more than enough for Jesus. And in the same way, we can navigate through suffering because of the glorification to come knowing that being united with Jesus is more than enough. There are things in my life, and if I had another 10, 15 minutes, I would share a little bit, but I know y'all don't want that right now. If I had the time, I would tell you how my life was often filled with dark days, filled with extreme discouragement, times when I was beaten up spiritually, wondering if there's a way out. And I remember it'd be during these times when I prayed. I did pray. I know we are, we are, we are so called to pray. And I remember I would pray for better circumstances. I would say, God, if you are God, I, I need you to change this situation right now. Oh, I wish I could have the time, and I wish I could tell you how many times I've asked that prayer. And I wish I could tell you over and over what his answer and his response was. That in his whispers, he said, Brian, my grace is sufficient for you. And my power, it is made perfect in weakness. And it's through that, and from that, is why I stand here with you all right now. To preach this, because I've, I've, I've experienced it, and it's through it, I'm here at this moment. And from it, I've received many things. And one of those things is not only this moment, but it is you. Friends, our, our pain and our suffering is not in vain. 
there will be a day to come. There will be a day we are fully redeemed. There will be a tomorrow. There will be justice. There will be healing. And we could pray for that right now. But you can be confident that the worst case is going to happen on the other side. And you can be confident because of this on this road marked with a suffering. Oh, how long the journey actually is. We can navigate well. We can navigate because God is gracious. We can navigate because you are not alone on this road and you have God with you. That is who he is. He is Emmanuel. He is with us and he is for you. He is most certainly not against you. So my hope and my prayer is as we have this little pit stop spiritually, as we hear the God's word, that you would go back on that road and you would look up. Would you join me in prayer?